Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. They ask you, okay, you know, we need this thing really done by Friday. Okay, fine. To send my manager a note. I'm taking care of that. But however, this and this will not get done this week or I'm going to delegate them to so-and-so. This is the trade-off I've made. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Here's what I'm doing and we move forward. People seem very surprised by this sometimes, but this has been one of the best ways I have found in engaging with not only my managers, but my peers in terms of making very clear what's on my plate. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the Engineering Leadership Community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. It can be so easy to focus on what's outside of your control, yet there is so much within our control that we miss. This episode features a session from ELC Annual 2022 with Megan Cacholia, VP of Engineering with Google's core organization. And in this session, Megan provides real-life lessons from her own leadership journey on how to take ownership of your time and the things within your control that can help you become a more effective and impactful leader, regardless of your title or position. Some of the topics Megan covers, questions to help you better spend your time, tips for saying yes and how to know when to say no, strategies for communicating with authenticity, frameworks for having difficult conversations, and even how she balances her role in a part-time capacity. Let me introduce you to Megan. As Vice President of Engineering within Google's core organization, Megan's a leader in the cross-Google engineering effort, which is responsible for company-wide technical coordination, Previously, Megan was a VP in Google's research organization, where her team's work spanned machine learning and research as well as production, including products such as TensorFlow. Enjoy this session from ELC Annual with Megan Cacholia. Let's dive right in. Thank you very much for the introduction. Again, my name is Megan Cacholia. I am a VP of engineering at Google. Um, I'm very excited to be able to just come and talk and share some lessons that I have learned. So what we're gonna do, go through a quick introduction, I kind of uh, kept encapsulated things down into three buckets of lessons that I wanted to share with all of you. I think three is a good number, so that's what I went with here. And then we'll have time at the end for some Q&A and some discussion. I wanted to share just a little bit of background about me so you have some context where I am coming from. So I joined Google in 2005 uh, as a software engineer. I joined fresh out of undergrad. I have been there since then. I've moved through a couple of different parts of the company. Internal mobility is pretty common at Google. It's not odd to see people move from different groups to another. So in that sense, this is not unexpected to see. There are a couple of different things I wanted to call out along this timeline as well. The first is that, uh, just for reference, I started doing people management, you can see, in 2010. Uh, so I've been doing some form of people management for, oh my God, over 10 years. So like a long time. It's scary to think about sometimes. I think the other two pieces that are interesting to call out is that I actually am part-time, uh, which is not very common 
Uh, it's one of those things that you have to know to ask for it to make it happen. It's actually become much more common after COVID. It's really interesting to see how some of the norms and dynamics are changing around this. Uh, but I have been part-time actually since 2012. I went down from five days a week to four days a week. And then in 2016, I went to three days a week. And I'm a salaried employee. It means I just only get part of my salary. I look at it as I'm paying Google to get back some of my own time. And I am okay with that trade-off. The interesting thing to layer on top of that, I don't like talking about promotion. I think it's kind of weird. But I do think it's useful to be able to understand how people's career progressions look. So I just wanted to call out some of the things that I've experienced, even though I have moved across parts of the company and even though I have gone part time. Um, so you can see that there's still career growth in terms of like level growth and things like that, even since I moved to part time. And I wanted to share just in terms of management history as well. So you can understand when I'm sharing some of these stories or anecdotes, just the scale of some of the different things I've personally experienced and seen. So I've managed anywhere from zero to a thousand people. I've helped different organizations move across the company to the right places they need to be. That's where some of those dips were that you see, where I rehomed things where it was appropriate, um, other places I inherited things, like so on and so forth. The thing I wanted to call out in this is that I think there's always this assumption that if people take a different path, if they do something that isn't standard, in my case, going part-time was not standard, maybe even some of the moves I made because they were pretty big, moving from like an ads, very um, business revenue-focused area to a research organization, you can still actually grow. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is a career is a jungle gym, not a ladder. So be okay with that, embrace that, and just you know choose on purpose. So after that introduction, there are a couple of different things I want to share with you. So the first is uh, hopefully none of these things are new, actually. I want you to roll your eyes at me. So these are the things that I hope that you're all asking anytime you're getting pulled into meetings. Everyone's calendar seems to get overloaded these days, especially with how things have been with more hybrid and remote work. Everything becomes meeting-based. Everyone thinks throwing the meeting on the calendar is the best thing to do. Of course, let's jump on a call tomorrow at this specific time. Okay, fine. We'll figure it out. So your calendar probably ends up looking like that laptop over there on the side with all these things thrown on top of it, and you don't feel like you have enough time to focus. So I'm hoping that you're asking yourselves some of these questions already. What's the point of the meeting? Do we actually need a meeting? Who are the decision makers? What's the agenda? These are basics, right? I'm hoping that this is not news to you. And if it is, that's okay. But I want to share with you some deeper things that have helped me along the way in terms of trying to figure out where does it make sense for me to spend my time and why am I spending my time in certain places? So here are some of these deeper questions, right? The first one hopefully is simpler. Why is a meeting even needed? Could we resolve this in some other way? Why is it they think we need to have a deeper discussion about this? Do I think this was already resolved? Is this just a status update and we should be doing this in some other forum versus a meeting? Fine. What happens if I don't attend? I think this is one of the most important things to ask yourself, right? What is my role in this situation? What is my role in this meeting? Am I a decision maker? Okay, if I don't attend, that's probably bad, right? Because if they're waiting on me to make a decision, then it's not good if I just say, no, sorry, I'm not coming, right? I better have a pretty good reason for saying that or be able to tell them, hey, I don't think you're ready. So I think, again, one good thing to ask yourself is what happens if you don't attend? Why are you supposed to be there? Why does it matter? Again, delegate. Is there someone you can send in your place? Is there someone that you should be growing? Is there someone that should be stepping up to take this meeting or this situation on that you can actually enable by then sending them instead of you going yourself? And then I think some of these last ones, right? Am I attending for me, right? Is it because I want to go, right? I feel the need. No, I want to go. Maybe it's a topic I'm interested in. 
maybe it's because I'm like, oh, my manager will be there and it'll look bad if I don't attend, right? Like there are these other things in your head that are the reasons why you're deciding to do something. And then if you've gone through this whole list and you're still like, yes, of course I need to attend the meeting, right? Please make sure that FOMO, that just fear of missing out is not driving your decisions. That is one of the biggest things I have seen with people is that they're like, if I'm not there, then something might happen and I don't know what that thing is. It's unknown, but I should be there just in case, just in case it comes up. I shouldn't not attend. I think sometimes you have to embrace the FOMO and decide for yourself, is it actually worth your time? Everything is a trade-off at the end of the day. Is it actually worth the time trade-off for you to go to this thing to appease your FOMO when maybe you, in the past, that meeting series has never led to you missing out on something, right? Maybe there's other ones where you know those players are a little different, right? They like to make ad hoc decisions on the fly. Okay, you better be in that meeting. But I think understanding for yourself why you're attending something, why you're spending your time on it, it's extremely important. And it can help you be more precise about what you're spending your time on and why, and also more precise about how you can get others involved when it might not be best for you to be the one taking something on. So that's just a lot about calendar, right? Like hopefully you're not just entirely run by your calendar. Hopefully there are other things you're actually making decisions about instead of just attending meetings. I know, especially if you are a manager and things like that, sometimes they can feel like that's all you do is attend meetings, but there's more to it than that. So if you want to say yes or no to something, I think one of the biggest things people forget sometimes is that saying yes should mean, at least in my mind, saying two things. The first one is being willing to say no to something else. How are you creating time for this, right? Usually you don't just have tons of spare time on your hands that now you're just filling up with these yes blocks. Usually you already have commitments. You already have things going on. So what is it that you're going to say no to? If you want to say yes to something else, do you have an idea in your mind of what that's going to be? I think the next thing to keep in mind is that saying yes to something might mean struggle. It usually means work, right? You have to do something. So let's take a bit of an extreme example. Let's say tomorrow morning you get up and you're like, I want to be a concert pianist. I want to learn to play the piano like nobody else. I want to do it. Okay, you sign up for lessons one hour a week. You go to your lesson. It's scheduled, right? You do your thing. Are you going to become a concert pianist with just going to your lesson once a week and not making trade-offs and spending more time investing in it otherwise? Most likely not. I would say no for the majority of people. You're simply not. You have to be willing to practice. Practice five hours a day. Put off other things. Decide to spend time on that versus spending time on other social engagements or other work things you would have done otherwise. Now, again, this might feel like a silly example, right? Maybe some of these things are saying, so what, Megan? Like all of these other things, these yeses, they're related to what I'm doing. It's not a big deal. Maybe, maybe not. But I think you need to be deliberate and be specific about saying, if I say yes to this, what am I going to say no to otherwise? One of the practices I've learned in terms of um, engaging well with my manager, whoever they might be at the time, I've had many different managers throughout my career, is that when I'm asked to do something, like, Megan, we really need you to step in and do X. Megan, we really need you to step in and lead this team. Will you take this team on? Okay, I can do that. But please be aware that now I have all these other teams I'm supposed to be taking care of right now. And I'm spending a ton of my time on this team and this team. So if you want me to spend time on this team over here, which needs some help, right, then I'm going to need a strong leader in place for at least one of these other two teams. 
I cannot be the one completely on the hook for that. So you got to find me somebody or you got to be willing to let me hire someone or move someone from a different team or whatever it is. You have to let me do something to take on what you want. I cannot do it otherwise. And sometimes I'll just make choices, right? They ask you, okay, you know, we need this thing really done by Friday. We need to understand what is our strategy going to be for some big coordination effort. Okay, fine. So send my manager a note. I'm taking care of that. But however, this and this will not get done this week or I'm going to delegate them to so-and-so because there's no way I can do this in addition to these other things going on. This is the trade-off I've made. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Here's what I'm doing. And we move forward. People seem very surprised by this sometimes. I'm not sure why, but I think to me, it's very logical. I like to lay things out and step through them. But this has been one of the best ways I have found in engaging with not only my managers, but my peers in terms of making very clear what's on my plate, what is my priority list, and what is going to happen if something new comes into my priority list, I have to make adjustments. Now, again, that's operating from the model of I'm already busy, right? Like I've already got a lot of things. So if I have to take on something else, then something's got to give. But I think you have to be willing to admit that when you take something on, it doesn't mean you're going to have to say no to something else. There's nothing wrong with saying no. For some reason, we think it's like a bad thing. It can be a very good thing to know for yourself where you're spending your time and why and be able to express that clearly. So just summarizing again, what are some of the trade-offs you're willing to make when you say yes? What are you saying no to? I, I think these are some of the questions that it's very important to ask yourself. Get in the habit of asking yourself. It'll become easier and then it'll become easier to, again, see some of those trade-offs or also see in your mind the places where it doesn't make sense for you to spend your time anymore. One of the other traps I think that people fall into with this is they're like, well, I can't say no to this thing over here. I'm the linchpin. I'm the only one that knows that thing okay, that seems like a pretty bad failure mode, right? You never want to have like a critical point of failure on something. If that is the case, and that's why you can't say no to something, then your next yes should be training someone up to learn how to do some of those things so that you can figure out how to delegate. I, I think it can be very bad to have individuals who are in some of these situations where you're like, well, they're the only one who understands that system. They're the only one who can do that thing. Now, maybe sometimes you're at an extremely tiny company and so that's just how your resourcing model works. And that's it. Okay, I get it, right? Over time, you'll have to figure that out. But as companies get to medium size, get to larger, that's usually not the case anymore. And that decision is being made deliberately to be like, well, we won't invest there because we have someone right now. Okay, if that's, if that's the decision, that's fine. But note the risk you're taking. Be okay with taking that risk and saying, fine, we're assuming this person here never goes on vacation, always responds to every single phone call and every single text we send them about work. And, and we'll be here until we have a replacement in place. Fine. Call out the risk that you're taking then in a situation like that. But watch out for situations where you or someone on your team is a linchpin and see if there's a better way to engage someone else to help them grow and learn and give your other folks more time. One of the last things I wanted to talk about was just communication in general. Communication's hard, right? Humans are complicated. You never know when you're meeting with someone what context they have what perspectives they're bringing into the room, what their worldview is, what things you might say that accidentally trigger them and you have no idea what you've just stepped into. Communication's tricky. So I think there's a couple of things that I like to keep in mind when thinking about communicating with folks. And again, this can be whether as a peer-to-peer -peer communication, as a manager talking with folks, as someone talking with their manager or with their management chain. One of the first things is as much as possible, be honest, even if it's hard. I think a good example of this is when you have someone on your team who isn't doing well, 
right? Maybe they're not performing well. Maybe the peers are frustrated with them. Maybe it's the pace of work. Maybe it's the quality of work. Maybe it's the attitude. Who knows? There could be lots of different things around it. Now, imagine everyone saying these things, right? No one's actually going and telling the individual directly, these are the issues. This was seen as a problem. Do you need help or is there something else going on? You're not only shortchanging them, you're shortchanging yourself by potentially having an opportunity to help that person improve. Or worst case, you have to figure out this person's not the right fit for the role. But if you don't give them the opportunity to hear that feedback directly, get time to process it because they probably won't like it in the moment. And that is okay. That's fine if they don't like it in the moment. Humans are complicated. But you have to do the job of being able to give that hard feedback. And I think, again, that's about being honest, right? There's lots of different ways to go about it. There's you can engage others to help you figure out the right thing to say. But at least in my mind, if you know something is, if you know there's a way you could help something, but you're not doing it because you're afraid to give the feedback, you should step up and figure out how to get the feedback, get help, be honest, and see how you can engage authentically, but still be able to deliver hard messages. The second thing, I think, again, this happens to all of us. Things aren't always about you. You go into a meeting, right? Let's say um, I've had many examples of this. You go in, I go into a meeting trying to talk with someone from another team. Okay, so trying to find out what your project specifically does, because I think there's duplicative work. Some other team is doing the same thing. They come in ready to fight, right? They're like, this is why my project is special. This is why it's different than this thing. This is why we need these features. This is why I can't use your common thing. I don't want to use your common thing. Okay, so I have a choice in that moment, right? I can also respond defensively and be like, what do you mean you're saying my common thing isn't good enough? Of course, my infrastructure is good enough. Didn't you know all the features that it has? I can be in my mind preparing my arguments for every single thing that they say, right? They come up with a point, I can counterpoint, right? I got it. I can give the data back just as good. Or I can take a step back and say, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe there's something else happening in the team. Maybe the team is short-staffed and I don't know about it. Maybe this individual just had a conversation with someone else about something similar and they're on edge right now. Maybe they have something going on in their personal life that's just making it hard for them to be in a work situation right now. I know none of that, right? None of it, especially if it's someone I don't work closely with. So the first thing to do is try and put this space between my emotion and my actual outward reaction and be able to take a pause and say, how can I be curious? How can I ask questions to try and dig deeper? How can I try and reflect back? Okay, it's to me, it sounds like you are worried about this. Sometimes people just need to be heard before they're willing to then engage on a difficult conversation. Again, sometimes it has nothing to do with you and you will never know what it actually had to do with. And it was just a pretty horrible conversation that you had to go through. But keeping in mind that it's probably not about you, right? You, me, whoever it is in that situation, it's probably not about you. It's something else going on with that person that you don't know about can really change your perspective on a lot of these contentious interactions that you might have in a workplace environment. I think especially these days, there's so many anxieties on top of people that they might just come in and again, not be able to hold back the reactions or their responses on things. So then you can, right? You can try again, put that space between the emotion and the reaction so that you can try and dig a bit deeper and also know when to step back. Okay, this conversation isn't going well. That's all right. We're going to choose to not talk about this right now. We'll follow up offline later. Thank you for your time. I realize this isn't a good time to discuss this. There's nothing wrong with that either. But again, choosing to take that space between, I think can be incredibly helpful 
in your, not only your communication, but also the stress and the anxiety that you place upon yourself as well. The bottom point is uh, incredibly true. The only person you can change is yourself. You cannot change others. Um, you can give them opportunities for change. You can give them advice. You can give them help, right? You can try and give them feedback. You cannot change them. And going into any situation thinking, well, I'll convince them. I'll win them over. No, I will present my information. I will answer their questions. I will try to help them. But at the end of the day, it's not on me to convince someone. It's on me to do my job to the best of my ability and see how I can engage others in doing the same thing. I think there's a, something here as well about embracing perspectives. There are many times I've had to go through difficult decisions at work, right? Let's say we have a team and we're like, actually, it probably doesn't belong in this organization anymore. We're going to have to move it to a different part of the company. It's a pretty big deal. People don't like this, right? Like I'm, you know, changing their plans. I'm changing their managers. I'm changing everything they know, right? It, people don't like being shook like that. I will anchor more on, okay, I'm worried about how these individuals will react, right? I'll come up with a plan. What am I going to do? But these are my worry points. There was another peer that I have worked closely with in the past, and he's someone I would go to and be like, I need you to poke holes in my plan because I know you think about things very differently than I do. You will come at it very much from this, like, what's the business objective? Show me what the cost is going to be. What's the ROI over here? How are you calculating this piece? Please poke holes in my plan so that I can understand if I'm anchoring on something because of how I am, right? Just how I process things. Or if I'm anchoring on it because I think it's the best way to handle the situation for the team itself. I think it's incredibly important to understand how you personally think about things. Like, what way do you lean on certain stuff? We'll all have those things. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The important thing is being able to recognize it and then being able to say, how do I challenge it? How do I challenge myself before I actually announce or make something real? How do I challenge myself to go to someone who is going to tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> and I know that even before I go talk to them, that most likely they're going to tell me that there is a different way to do something. And how do I say that's a good thing? It's a good thing to go to someone else, get a different perspective. It doesn't mean I have to like take it fully. It doesn't mean just because they disagree with me, I have to then throw out everything I would do. No, it's my responsibility, my decision, so I can make it. But it's also my responsibility to pull in those other perspectives and to understand where my own perspective is coming from and try and get some insight on that as well. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I think the bottom one also, be okay with discomfort. I, I've heard sometimes folks like, oh my gosh, that leader, they went and canceled all those projects. They did all those things. They're so cold. Okay, well, maybe they are. It's possible, right? There can definitely be people who don't have a lot of empathy for others in situations. Totally possible. Humans come in all shapes and sizes. But it could also be that they did something that they had to do because it was the right thing for the business. It was the right thing for the team. And they dealt with a hard situation, even if it was uncomfortable for them. There are multiple hard situations I have been in where it is not comfortable. But if I go into the moment and be like, oh, I really don't want to do this. Oh, I don't like doing this. But sorry, you failed your performance evaluation. Like you're not doing well. 
how does that actually help the person at all? All that does is maybe make me feel a little bit better because then I'm like, oh, I showed them that, you know, I'm not mean. This isn't about me. This is about them, right? About making sure they get the feedback, about making sure I'm doing the right thing for the business. I can worry about me later, right? I can find ways to help myself get through situations. I can find ways to de-stress, right? And understand how I process things. But I don't need to necessarily bring my own discomfort into a situation and pass it on to someone else just because a situation's hard. And I think sometimes that is, um, it's difficult, especially if you're leading a larger team or if you're in a position of, you know, high authority on something to know that sometimes you have to go in and be the one who is like, we're canceling this project. Here's the plan for how we're going to wind it down. Here's the implications. This is what we're going to do. It doesn't mean you have to be cold. It doesn't mean you don't empathize with the people, but you don't have to take your discomfort and put it on everyone else just because something's hard for you. Some things are supposed to be hard and that's okay. And they will continue to be hard. I don't think it gets any easier necessarily to fire a person, to cancel a project, to do layoffs, right? I don't think it really gets easier to do some of those things as time goes on. It's just that you've had practice. So now you have more skills at doing some of these things. Now you have more strategies to help yourself cope with it. Now you have more ideas for how to upfront engage the right people to help things move forward. But it doesn't mean that it necessarily gets easier. It just gets different. And I think sometimes we assume that because something is hard, that means it's bad. That could be true in some situations. It's not a universal truth. So please don't assume that just because it's difficult to do something, that means you shouldn't do it. Embrace the difficulty, figure out how best to get yourself through it, figure out how best to get the individuals impacted through it. But you'll still have to make some of these tough calls sometimes, and they will be tough. And that's kind of the way it is. A couple of takeaways before we get into questions. So I think the first one is you can say no and still grow, right? In terms of growing in your career, in terms of growing in the different things you want to learn, saying no is a powerful tool. Now, if you go around and say no to everything and everything everyone asks you to implement in your system, you're like, no, that's not a good strategy. So that's not what I'm going for here. But learning how to make trade-offs, learning how to, for yourself, articulate, I'm going to say yes here, which means I say no there, can be extremely helpful. Stay curious. Don't assume everything is about you. We're all special. We're all special snowflakes. That's perfectly fine, right? But don't assume that everything is about you. Don't assume that every situation that goes bad is because someone has something against you or you did something wrong. Certainly reflect on it. See what you can learn. But realize, like I said, there's so many other things going on in people's lives, whether it's their work lives, their personal lives, so on and so forth. Be aware of that. Be curious. Ask questions and put that space in between the emotion or the reaction that you internally feel versus how you outwardly express it. I think the last thing is just, like I said, embrace the hard things. Some stuff is going to suck. Like, I'm sorry. Um, some things just, they just suck. And sometimes even just admitting that and being able to have a peer, a friend you can go to and be like, this situation really sucks. Please just agree with me that it sucks. So then I feel a little better and now I can go do it. Some things are going to be hard. I embrace that. Figure out how to learn from it. Don't make yourself sick over it. If you're in a situation where you make yourself sick over work, then find what needs to change in order, in order to help you get through that. That's not my message here. But learn how to improve, right? How do you learn from things? How do you build up strategies? And how do you figure out, again, how do you say yes in some situations, say no in others, make deliberate choices? So that's all I've got for you. I have a question just about decision making in general. There's always an element of luck in the outcome of your decision. So how do you judge the quality of your decision making um, separately from the outcome of the decision? I think that's hard because that um, 
honestly, that uh, relies a lot on hindsight. And honestly, humans aren't that great at hindsight. If we get into a situation and we're like, yes, I'm going to make the decision, I'm going to go for that thing. And it turns out really well. A lot of times people look back and be like, I knew it, right? I knew that was the thing to do. Like, I'm just, I'm amazing. I knew that thing, right? And if it happens the other way, they're like, oh, I saw the signs. I saw the signs so long ago. I just was trying to let the team you know, get through it and see it for themselves. <laughs> I think you have to be aware of some of the hindsight bias um, and, and always look at things in terms of what did we learn and is it repeatable? right? Like how much of it is something that we can learn and repeat, whether it's in the same part of the company, a different part of the company, a different part of life, whatever it may be, right? Versus how much was that individual decision itself and those factors around it that you actually didn't control. So honestly, I think it's, it's important to think about some of those aspects. I honestly think if you look at it the other way in terms of like, did I, you know, is, is, this, is this luck or not? You'll usually give yourself more benefit of the doubt than you probably should. And that's a human thing. And it's, it's okay. But be willing to find the things that are repeatable versus not. It's just really fascinating that uh, you were able to grow your career from engineer to, to VP of engineering at Google and at a part time. That's just fascinating. And, and when you said saying yes is saying no to something else. Yeah, I've learned that at Google as well. But it really is difficult to imagine what actually you say yes, uh, you say no to, to be able to, to do actually that. Could you expand on that? Maybe give some examples of just from the career decisions? growth perspective is kind of that what you're anchoring on some yeah. of the career growth stuff. I mean, I guess there's a couple of different things. And again, some of it will relate to me personally, right? In terms of how I process things, how I look at the world. Um, one of the things that has always enabled me, I think, to grow in my career is I, I point out issues, right? I go and find stuff. But not only do I go find it, I then say I'll help, right? If I'm willing to complain, I'm willing to do something, right? That's kind of how I feel about things. And I try and get my team to do that, too, with good and bad luck in some places. But that's how I feel personally about things. And I think over time, I've had many managers who saw that and who were just basically like, okay, Megan, we want you to take that thing. When I went to 60%, I negotiated, actually. They had asked me a month or two before, like, Megan, will you take this extra team? You're going to go from 100 to 200 people. I was going to double, right, in terms of the organizational side I had. And I told my VP at the time, you know, remember we had this conversation where I said I want to work fewer days a week. Do you remember that? It was like last week. So frequent. Do you remember that? All right, like, you're the only one who can take this right now, right? You know the team, you know the stuff. I need you to do this, right? Can you do this? I'm like, okay, I will do it if I get to go to three days a week and we'll try it for a quarter and then we'll see how it goes. And we did. And then I asked him, how did it go? He's like, it was great. I'm like, fantastic. We'll keep going, right? Like all is well. But I think it's some of that. One, I be honest about what I'm willing to take on or not. But two, again, if I see things, I'm not afraid to run towards it and help. And I think that's okay because if I call it out, I'm willing to do something about it, right? Or find someone else, enable someone else to do something about it. I really think that's been one of the biggest things is I'm not attached to some specific piece of infrastructure. I'm not attached to some specific team size, right? I've done things when I moved to research, I went from 200 people to nine and I was fine with that, right? Like I wanted to make the move. And within two or three years, I went from nine to a thousand, right? So again, it was more just like, what's the right opportunity? How can I be the most useful Right? How can I make use of my skill set in a way that enables others? And how do I get out of the way when they don't need me anymore? 
I don't know if that really answers things for you, but that's how my thought process goes on a lot of things. And even years back, but now it's just matured um, in some sense. I've gotten to do it at much larger scale than when I was a more junior engineer. I have a question on the first section about controlling the calendar. What would you do in a situation where you and a peer have a disagreement about a commitment of your time? How would you kind of, what are your techniques for communication to try to build empathy between two people on why a meeting is required or not required? I think sometimes in some of these situations, it almost helps to make it about you, right? Like, okay, my schedule is really busy, but I want to make time for you, right? I want us to resolve this. Here are what I see are the open questions. Can we at least agree over email on what the concerns are? That way, when we meet, we can just just go, go through them versus in the meeting itself, all we're doing is arguing about what the actual issues are. I, I try trade-offs, I guess. It's always let's make a deal. Um, I think of many things as let's make a deal. Like, okay, you want to have the meeting. I don't think it's necessarily useful. What would I think is a useful meeting? Well, I would think something where it really requires like discussion or face-to-face discussion can move you forward or VC to VC, whatever discussion can move you forward. You know, to me, I would think that's a good use of time. So then how do I get where we are to that point in a way that then maximizes the meeting time while still using other techniques to get us there? Does that make sense? I would, I would negotiate basically. <laughs> In this day and age, you know, we have to convince ourselves either way with when we're confronted with choices, right? Yeah. Uh, so is there a time and place and a mindset where you kind of go with a marginally safer choice versus, you know, a more difficult choice? Yeah. And honestly, I think even part of that, too, is as you um, as you get more senior in, an, in a company or an organization, you have to learn how to make decisions with less and less information as well which can be really hard for people. It's a transition point kind of along the way. Honestly, kind of back to you, to your specific question, I really think it depends on some of the other factors. Again, you might want to look at the entire risk profile you have, right? Like, okay, I already have a bunch of like sure bets going on here of things that we're delivering really well on. So it makes sense to try something risky, right? And do a 70, 30, 80, 20, whatever number you like to pick split. Um, I think that's one good way of looking at it. Look across the entire portfolio and then see what makes sense. Sometimes it also comes down to people, right? It might be that you have this thing you really want to do and you're like, if we had someone who was fantastic at X, we could do this. We don't have that right now. Okay, so can we push forward then on the more sure bet while trying to find someone who could take the riskier piece and then see if we want to pivot a bit later? Um, Again, let's make a deal, right? (laughs) So uh, I would try and think about what are the different trade-offs? What are the things you have to play with? And again, look across the entire portfolio instead of looking at things in isolation. You mentioned earlier about giving honest feedback. And the example you used was to a report where, you know, it's both your job and it's necessary for them to grow. What about a peer or a superior where it's optional that you give the feedback and that'll have an impact on the relationship? Sometimes I think it depends on the relationship that you might have with the individual. I've, um, I've done both of these things in the past, right? I've definitely done things for peer-to-peer where I try and send an email and be careful. I'm like, I'll start here, right? And be like, hey, in this meeting that happened today, I heard you say this it made me feel like that. This was the outcome, right? So like situation, behavior, impact, and try and frame things that way to try and make it come across as like, this is how I felt versus making it as like, dude, you said something horrible. What's your problem? So I think sometimes if you be careful with the framing, again, SBI is a great framing for some of these things. People can then be a bit more willing to at least think about accepting the feedback. (laughs) If it's something repeated, right, and you've tried before, at that point, I would try going to like either my manager or their manager to be like, hey, I've given this feedback, like, this is on you at this point, right? I did what I could 
I don't know what you're doing here. I can't assume you're doing nothing because that's not nice, but I don't know. So here, this is what I have done. This is what I have tried. This is what I have seen. This is what my team has experienced. Like on you now, please do something. For the superior one, it can be harder, especially if it's someone in your direct management chain. Again, I think it depends on some of it is kind of your own level of comfort, what you're willing to do. That can be a great place sometimes to engage allies, right? Let's say if it's your skip level and your manage, you have a good relationship with your manager, you could talk to your manager about it and see if they can be an advocate for you. If it's your manager themselves, sometimes you can try that with even peers in the organization, or you can go to the skip level and be like, hey, I'm just feeling this. I want some advice, right? Can you give me some advice on how to deal with this? Because this is not going well. You know this individual. I'm having a hard time. Do you have suggestions? Sometimes framing things that way can, again, make people be much more open to sharing with you because they're trying to help you at that point. And helping people usually feels kind of good. And it becomes a win-win. You get kind of what you want and they get to feel good about helping you in a way that doesn't throw your manager under the bus. Now, clearly, if these are like HR violation things, just go straight to HR, get that sort of stuff done. For other situations where it's just like, oh my gosh, this person's like complicated. What do we do? I would try some of those tactics. Again, you're trying to approach things in a way that shows openness to different ideas and perspectives, but still gets across that your feelings and how you're experiencing this are, are real. You advising taking a step back, we're like, maybe this person didn't have a good day today or just stepped out from a different harsh meeting. Our society seems to be like, you know, rewarding people who speak in the moment. Even there are times where feedback, you get a feedback as a leader saying, why didn't you defend your org? Why didn't you bring up uh, justifications, especially around retro meetings and things like those? So what would be some advice on that side? I think it's going to be very mixed, right? I mean, there are certain strategies that will work in some places that might not work in others. Uh, honestly, at least for me personally, I will try and at least have some, like try, I try to put myself in their shoes, right? Okay, what's going on, right? Like what could be happening? Why could this be hard for them? And try and think about that. But at the same time, just because someone has a valid point on something, it doesn't necessarily mean that the way they approach it is correct. I think this is a classic example everyone talks about, like, you know, the smart jerk, right? Like what happens if you have the smart jerk, right? Or the person who comes and you know, very clearly calls out to some other individual, what were you doing? That change list you submitted, like broke this entire thing. You skipped all of the tests. Like, what were you thinking? You're such an idiot. Okay, so it was probably good to call out that we shouldn't have done that with skipping the test. It was not appropriate in the way it was done. So I think sometimes being able to split those things apart too, especially with the individuals who are behaving in that way and be able to tell them like, look, sounds to me like you're frustrated. Clearly, you're not happy about how, you know, this thing went. And yes, I agree with you. That individual should have followed the rules and done the correct things. However, the way you approached it made the situation worse. What are different ways that we could have done that? So you still could have gotten the outcome you wanted without having that other impact, right? You just had negative impact on the team. I don't want the negative impact. How do we get rid of the negative impact while still being able to address things that, you know, were mistakes? I think sometimes being able, being willing to do that too, being willing to call out things in the moment and cut it off. I know I've done that in meetings before too, where it's just like, hey, we're not talking correctly right now. You guys are going to offline this. We're not doing it anymore. And if they don't listen, then I just stand up and speak louder right until they offline it. And, and that's it. Even that where you don't necessarily address the behavior itself in the room, but you cut it off. People notice that a lot. So I think kind of picking which strategies will work for a situation and making sure that you 
like I said, there's multiple pieces to things, right? Someone can have valid feedback, but deliver it in a very unfortunate way. You can call that out too, right? You can hold multiple of these things in your head at once and then hold other people accountable for doing the same thing. Generally, what we see in larger organizations is the in scope and impact that you have as an engineering leader or any leader is usually measured by the size of the team that you're supporting. In your case, you went from supporting a 200-person org to a nine-person org. That seems like a very non-linear career move. It must have been a very difficult career decision. So can you talk about how you made that decision and, and why? Yeah, so um, at that point in time, I had been in the ads organization for about 10 years. So I had grown from being like a sweet three, so not quite entry level, but the next step up from entry level software engineer to an engineering director in, um, in that organization and took on a lot of different teams throughout those 10 years. I think at that point, there were a couple of different things. One, I felt ready for a new challenge. I wanted something different. And again, Google offers internal, internal mobility. So there was the opportunity to be able to do something different without having to entirely leave, right? I could take some of my credibility with me. Um, and that was appealing. So I think that was one. I knew that there were some of those opportunities like that. The next thing was that, like, I mean, it's great to get promoted and all of these things, but that's not how I personally have planned my career. I love it when people come and they're like, Megan, what's your five-year career plan? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll go find some interesting things to work on and I'll go help somebody. And then somehow those things become my problems and then I fix them and then I move on with my life. Um, that's kind of how I have approached my career as, as well in many ways. And at that point, my team, my team was at a place where they would be fine without me. Right. I had grown these leaders. I felt my bench was pretty stable. They'd have to step up a bit, but like they'd be fine without me. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. I enable them to do my job. Right. Fantastic. Pat on the back to me. And that means then I can do something else. And I think that was the other thing was that I looked at it and I knew it'll be it's fine. Like, why am I? Why am I? I'm not stuck. Right. I'm not stuck in terms of moving to something that didn't have an um, like an org. Yeah, I think even when I even when I moved, um, it was a very much like a verbal agreement where I went and talked to <laughs> Jeff Dean at the time. And I was like, hi, I'm interested in some stuff you're doing. Can I come work on some stuff like you've never met me before? He's like, you seem great. Sure. Come on over. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> like, OK, um, but it was, you know, it was a leap of faith. Right. Try something different. And yeah, I went over. I told them I don't want I don't want a team. I'm not looking for that. I want to help. I want to help. You guys look like you could really use some management and organizational help. I love the technology. I'm good at infrastructure. Just let me, just put me in places where I'm useful. So yeah, I had people who thought I was crazy. I mean, it was at the same time where I was almost up for L9 for my senior director promo as well. And people are like, you're going to lose your promo. I'm like, it's okay. I'll get it later. Right. I still got the promo even after I moved. So it was fine. I was willing to take the trade off because it felt, it felt like the right time. It was a good opportunity. And my team was no team was fine. They were in a great place. What would you do if no is an acceptable answer? Because the stakes are too high. The company's revenue depends on it. And you're asked to take on a challenge and soldier on, um, even if you think it's not doable. Let's say get something done by July when the timeline you think is December. And uh, you're asked to take on a challenge like that. The first thing I would do is ask where are there other people who can say no to things and have them come help me. 
I mean, that will be the other thing. There's got to be a no somewhere. If there's not a no anywhere, then you're just going to you're going to have to find some stuff you can pare down. Right. So instead of saying no, you say yes, but yes, you want this, but we'll only do a beta. Yes, you wanted this, but we're going to shrink it. You find no's. You have to find no's somewhere creatively, but maybe they're not yours. They're someone else's. And then you pull them over, pool the resources to get things done. Maybe it's more work on you to train people, but in the end, you still get to the place you want to be. So that's where you got to do creative solutioning. <laughs> I can go across, go across things, be willing to put in place people that might, it might feel like a stretch and that's okay. Try it out. All right. Join me in thanking Megan. A round of applause. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.